they make you feel like you're the cream of the crop because, you know, across the whole country of, so, you know, a million witnesses, you were invited to Bethel. But then once you get there, you're not special in Bethel. Everyone else is more special than you because you're the new guy. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. So, like, how about now about, like, uh, Bethel Entrance School? Did you ever go to that, JT? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our Bethel Entrance School, I remember George Genghis uh, was, uh, did one of our schools. He actually stopped by. Uh, and he was he a little bit like Yoda, right? Yeah, yeah. A little, yeah. Short, little short Greek guy. And yeah, okay. uh, I remember him telling us, he said, he said, back home, you were the cream of the crop. That's why we call you here. Exactly. And now you're with all the cream, so you're not special here. You know, so, so, you know, and so, and so I remember I entered school because they went over a lot of things about what you would do at Bethel, the way it will be, institutional life. And I, I really personally, I just feel bad for sisters or females at Bethel because, man, Bethel is like, I mean, it, it's not a place for women. It, it just really was. It was not. While we lived at the sisters, we lived in what's called the 107 building. And there were no bathrooms in the rooms. All your bathroom was dormitory style. So you had to go down the hall and depends on if you were close or whether you went all the way to the other end. And so sisters just felt uncomfortable walking down in their robes at night to use the bathroom. And they passed four or five guys coming in, you know, you know, Sister Johnson, you know. So and so it was just it so it was just difficult for them. And that's why uh for a lot of sisters, they just they just they just couldn't do it and they ended up leaving. But our interest school, our Bethel interest school, we call it New Boys School, uh, and the going over the dwelling together in Unity Book and so forth. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, it, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, I'll, I agree with you. They make you feel like you're the cream of the crop because you know across the whole country of so, you know a million witnesses, you were invited to Bethel. But then once you get there, you're not special in Bethel. Everyone else is more special than you because you're the new guy. Right. Yeah, so no, you're new guy. But then they put you in the place by telling you you're not special, right? That you're just yeah. a new guy, and you've got no nothing to say. You got to do everything, you know, the way they say it, and uh, you know, it's like a company. You know, like, hey, do it our way. It's our way or the highway, right? So, um, the interesting thing, though, like if you remember in the dwelling manual, um, it says in there to make Bethel your lifelong career. Make it your lifelong so, career. And, and and I remember emphasis was made on that. Big time. What what do you what do you interpret when they say make Bethel your lifelong career? Well, they used to tell us all the time, this is your home and you can stay as long as you want to. They I, I mean they used to tell us it all the time. I mean, so for most people who went to Bethel, you and we refer to and we refer to it as a Bethel career. Mm-hmm. So and I, and I and I just remember like, you know, we, they, they, they laid off over a thousand guys, and I just remember how they would they would poke fun at the world. You know, the mm-hmm. world lays its people off. It's, you know, they close their shop up and they go away. And so we would say, you know, you know, pioneer or become a Bethelite and you will always have a place because Jehovah never laid. I mean, I used to hear things. Man, they used to say stuff so much it wasn't even funny. So I can't imagine, man, if I was still at Bethel when they made the announcement. Um, I remember the guy who, uh, George is the guy who gave the speech. I, I came in along with George. He's the guy who actually gave the Bethel talk about, you know, some change is coming. Some change is good. Change is good. I can't imagine. You know, George worked upstairs in the Bethel office. I cannot imagine 
when they came to George said, George, uh, we got an assignment for you. Uh, we need for you to give <laughs> the axe talk to all the Bethel family. I cannot imagine how George was like, oh my goodness, I got to go out there and tell everybody they're going to get kicked out of Bethel. And so, <laughs> but he he went out there, he, you know, he soldiered on like a good soldier and told everybody there's going to be some changes coming and some of y'all leaving. And people I've talked to, man, I'm going to tell you, Paul, man, they said people were just crying. And I know, man, I personally know guys 30 years at the house, man, 30 years at the big house. And them and their wives pack up your stuff and leave. And so, you know, when you leave Buffalo, you have no insurance, you have no health coverage, you have no dental coverage, you have nothing. And it wasn't like they wouldn't get like a little service package or something, you know, help them, here's a $1,000, help you get out on the outside and get started, nothing. And they really didn't make a big effort to, to let congregations know, look, we got some people been in service here at Bethel for 27 years. Whatever you brothers do, open up your homes, open up your heart. It was like, y'all leave Bethel, don't talk about it. Shh, mm-hmm. Keep quiet. And for a lot of Bethelites, man, their jaws was locked. <laughs> their jaws was locked. And there were people at Bethel who quickly saw how you could remain. You basically had to have a skill or a profession. Many of the professions are ones that they told you never to go to school and get. And you mm-hmm. saw that. Um, yeah. I, I remember one guy I worked with, man, I, nice guy, great, you know, wonderful dude. Uh, we, was, we, were in, we were all in the factory working in the, in the bindery. And um, I remember this guy came in, came out of Texas, out of, out of, out of Austin. Mm-hmm. And you know, we was working on the lines and the lines went down. And so the mechanics came over and and was working on it. And in the meantime, you know, you're sitting around waiting for the mechanics to finish. And we just chit-chatting and we're going around the circle. Like, you know, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do before you came to Bethel, man? Well, I was a pioneer and I had a little, little, little yard business. Okay. And what do you do, man? And there's one dude, he's in California. And what do you do? I had a little pool cleaning business. In fact, this guy now is one of society's lawyers. He's one of they sent my boy to college. He's, he's an attorney now. But when he was pioneer, he had a little, he had a little yard business where he did basically pool, pool service out there in, out there in California, out in the LA area. And, um, and then we got to this guy. And this guy says, um, he says, so what do you do? He said, I work for Dean Witter. And we like, Dean Witter? He said, yeah. And so we're thinking he worked for Dean Witter in the mail room. No. He says, I, did, I dealt with uh, derivatives and investments. And we're like, derivative? What's a derivative? And we're like, well, what were you doing? He said, well, I went to college. He went to, he went to, he went to I think he went to Texas A&M. He says, and I said, well, we thought your dad was an elder. Said, yeah, my dad made us all go to school. So this dude came to Buffalo. He went to college. He had a degree in finance. And so we was like, you're not going to be over in the factory long, man. I'm going to be here long. And do you know, after he made his year, because at the end of the year, they ask you, do you want to stay? Or you know, they tell mm-hmm. you to leave at the end of your first year. He decided yeah. to stay. I guess probably less than two, three months, man, he came into the, came into the, uh, into the um, locker room. He says, it's my last week, guys. I said, where are you going? I'm going to the treasury. And what he did, uh, he was moved down to the treasury. And that was, he was part of the original group of guys who were setting up what would now become known as the plan giving desk. And that's oh, wow. what he does. And so yeah. what he was doing basically is he would take uh, witnesses who had passed away, left their inheritance to the society, and he would convert their stocks and bonds and real estate. He would convert it into cash. You know, sell the sell the property, cash out the stocks in the bond, and that's what he did. And the reason he did that is because he went to college, got the finance background, and when he got the Bethel, they moved him down there. Whereas the rest of us was doing these little Mickey Mouse jobs so we could pioneer. And now, 
we're not going to be able to be used at Bethel. And so that was one of the probably one of the most hypocritical things that I used to see at Bethel. And you like, and then of course you get that guy to put you in back in order. You know, just be thankful. Like like David said, I prefer to be a person standing at the door of God than to be moving around with the wicked ones. You know, and so they always, you know, like crazy stuff they always do. You know, <laughs> but but yeah, my so so in Andrew school it preps you to see stuff that you if you are not careful. It'll throw you because you're not expecting to see the people carry on like they do carry on many times at Buffalo because that wasn't the impression you had before you got there. And then, of course, the kicker is when you leave and go on vacation, you go home, you have to continue to carry that 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 sterling image of Buffalo when you know behind the scenes, man, some crazy dudes at Buffalo. I mean, some guys, you wonder how they got there. And uh, so you got all kinds, man. You got all kinds. Yeah. And, you know, they, they really make you feel that when you go to Bethel that you're at the temple. It's like you've come to the temple, like of old days, right? That, you know, it, like you said with David, I'd rather be in the courtyards of Jehovah than, you know, moving around with the wicked, right? They, they really make you feel that this is a center for true worship in the whole country. So it's as if you've, you're working in the temple. Uh, one of the things they used to tell us in Brooklyn, I, I remember, <laughs> you look back now, I mean, you realize how, how crazy it was. But they would say, Brothers, you need to understand that here in Brooklyn, we have the greatest concentration of Holy Spirit because we have more <laughs> members of the anointed than anywhere on earth is right yeah. here in Brooklyn. And so you'd be like, man, that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, but but you, you, you saw this stuff. I, I remember this one dude, super nice guy, man. He was like 26 years old and he was of the anointed. And we was like, Okay, all right, we're gonna let that one go. And so you saw stuff that was like, man, that's kind of unusual. But uh it, it, it's a it's a it's a lifestyle that that it's even it, it's 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 out there even beyond what witnesses live because it's it's so unreal. Like you said, you consider yourself being at the temple, and it's kind of ironic how the society will play it that the White Star Bible and Society is just an entity, and then they'll call it Bethel, House of God. Yeah. yeah. Either you think it's the house of God or it's just a corporate interest sitting over here on the left. You know, which is it? You can't have it both ways. You know, so. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people don't know that there's actually quite a few judicial cases in Bethel. But it's kept under wraps uh, so that people don't get the wrong impression. Like, you know, I was in Bethel and there were Bethelites that were, you know, found engaging in homosexuality. Yeah. Uh, you know, adultery, uh, robbery. Uh, I know one brother... Uh, he was a purchaser, and he'd use the money to go pay for prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. I, I, I mean, and and that's okay. That's on him. But what what I want to get at is that uh, everybody looks at Bethel as being the clean and holy place, and you know what? It's just a place that's also got imperfect people that are also going to <laughs> make mistakes like everybody else. So they they put it on this high level, and you know what? It's just a group of people. Working in a company for a common goal, it's it's like having a company where there's stricter rules, but it's not what they told it to be as being the house of God, being the temple. No, it's 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 like having a congregation where everybody actually doesn't just meet together; they work together. Yeah, you know? that's what it is. Yeah. I was at Buffalo when Greenleaves um, was kicked out. Uh, Pot singer the German governing body member. I remember we came on the breakfast table that morning and um, he made the announcement. 
Uh, he said, this is informed of the family that, you know, Greenlee's is no longer a member of the Bethel family. And then he said this, he says, and the matter is closed. And man, throughout Lord Diner and the other diner, you couldn't hear a pin. It was like, okay, we're going to let that one go. And of course, then after a few days, you know, word got around what 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 the issue was, and people started. You know, I mean, it's hot gossip. I mean, you know, it's, it's juicy gossip. I mean, it's TMZ stuff at Bethel. You know, so um, but yeah, I mean, so so when you look back, when I look back to the schools that we had, like the the Bethel Entrance School, you you're required to go through it. If there was one thing I will say, this is just a personal thought, is that one of the requirements of your first year at Bethel is to read the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation. And so that was something that as a new boy is your goal to read about mm-hmm. four, you know, about four or five pages a day. And, 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 and eventually by the end of the year, man, it, it is amazing. You will, you will have read the entire Bible. Uh, problem is we read it, but we didn't understand it. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also sometimes you're speed reading. You were behind because you you know, you have this chart for the year and you know where you should be and where you're really at. And you're like, well, tonight I'm going to have to read a whole book of the Bible, right? Like, so you're just speed reading. You're reading for the sake of reading. You're not trying to get anything out of it. You're just doing it to say, yeah, I checked off the boxes, right? You want to be able to say at the end of the year, I read my whole Bible. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Paul, man, as, as I look back now, man, it, I mean, we, we, we meant well, and, and it's just so sad. I mean, you have a lot of good people. I mean, a lot of good people, yeah. man. Yep. And yet they have been given some information, man, that is just flawed and flawed terribly. And it's so flawed, you can't even discuss it. I mean, that's what makes it so sad. It's one thing to have flawed. Okay, now, you know, this is wrong. But it's so flawed that if you discuss it openly, you're considered an enemy of God. That is absolutely amazing when an organization can elevate their published material to that level and at yeah. the same time tell you it's not inspired and it's not infallible. Then how in the world do you get that type of status? Well, you have something that's uninspired, in, is not infallible, and it can't even be questioned. Um, the Watchtower has made a very good job at attaching themselves to God. Well, if you mm-hmm. question yeah, what you do for the organization, you're doing for Jehovah, right? Exactly right. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the greatest, it's the greatest trick in the world. And for many of us, um, we were so thankful now that we came to realize that. And, and, it's just, and, and, let's be honest, and I'm going to ask you if maybe this happened to you, because it happened to me too as an elder, right? And I was blind. It's true. There's no excuse. But I, I just want to present a scenario. You're giving counsel to someone in the congregation. And what do you tell the brother or the sister? This is Jehovah speaking to you, right? This is Jehovah speaking to you. No, wait a minute. It's you, JT, or you, Paul, the elder, giving the person your take on it, your personal counsel. And yet you elevate that counsel to being what God is telling the individual. So if they don't listen to your counsel, what's the, what, what's the conclusion? They're not listening to God. They're not listening to Jehovah. And, 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 and again, the organization creates that situation because they say, You've, you're an elder because you've been appointed by Holy Spirit and you've been appointed by the governing body. And it, it makes you think that, oh, wow, you know, Jehovah has really, you know, fixed his eyes on me. And now I'm his, I'm his man. I'm his man on the ground. And, you know, the advice that I give you, give people, that's the advice that Jehovah wants them to have. 
right? So you, you, you can fall into that trap as an elder of thinking that what you're telling people is what Jehovah wants them to hear, right? And it's just really a, a sum up of all your experiences and what you've read and what you think is going to happen to that person if they don't listen to you. But you're thinking, this is Jehovah speaking through me because I'm an elder and the elders are appointed by God. Yeah, that's exactly true. And what really drives that point home is when you're quoting from the Watchtower publications. This yep. is from the mouthpiece of God. And, mm -hmm. you know, that when I was at Bethlehem, you know, one of the things that I quickly recognized is that individuals who were society men, mm -hmm. so good society men, and these were these were identified or these were defined as men who are able to do what the society says. If it's in print and they do it, that is considered a good society, man. You would rarely ever hear a circuit overseer or people in high positions in the organization, even at Bethel, who were known for their, he's just an outstanding example of the fruitage of God's spirit. No, that was not what he was known for. Mm -hmm. They were known for how tight they were to adhering to what the society said. Man, he don't play. He don't play. He don't play, man. He take what the society says in a minute. And so that is what the society elevated through running right up the food chain. Yeah. And yep. so for the rank and file witness, they may not realize that this is a heavily position-driven organization. They just do it in a different manner than to do it out front. But behind the scenes, this I've heard so many, I've heard, they'll say, no, Brother Jones, he's a good society man. Everybody knows what that means. That means yes, this guy exactly. sticks to whatever's in print. If it's not in print, he's not doing it. And therefore, when he tells you something, Jehovah has spoken. And so that was what my mentor taught me. Yeah. I had a mentor, exactly. he was a former district overseer. He says, stick to what, he says, JT, people may not like you, but you'll always be right because you can point to what the society says in print. And that's yep. what makes a good society man. But basically, that means you're a company man. And yeah, we, like we, yeah, have worked, yeah, we worked in companies. We worked in companies where you get these corporate guys, and they they don't budge. Yep, they don't budge. Well, the policy, right? And so, like, just think of the Kingdom Ministry School, right? It's a school for elders, right? Mm -hmm. um, again, one thing about it was that they give you this massive amount of homework to do every night for a couple of days. Uh, you're losing sleep. And you're all just researching what is written. And I actually had a part in one of the Kingdom Ministry Schools. And the point of the part, get this, is that if you're going to be a good elder, you need to know what's written in the letters to the body of elders. And, you know, you have this binder and it has an index. And we even had a demonstration to show the brothers, if you're going to do a good job of an, as an elder before you decide or say anything, you consult the letters to the body of elders. That's like your Bible as an elder, right? You don't do anything without, without consulting those letters, right? Now, it's true. There are some elders that actually don't even look at the letters and they just go and do their own thing. But the whole, uh, the whole idea is you're not a good elder if you're doing that, if you're ignoring the letters. Uh, you know, you're, if you want to be a good elder, if you want to make it up the ranks, so to speak, because there's different ranks as elders because – the circuit overseer will come around and he'll be looking at, okay, well, who's, who's got the qualities, but also who's also following what's written when we need to implement stuff. And then he'll start giving you a part in the circuit assembly or the district assembly. And that starts elevating you because now you're not just an elder in your congregation. 
You're also a circuit assembly speaker. You're a district assembly speaker. And then, and then there's levels even with that, because if you're, if you're, you know, if you get a circuit assembly part, well, you might get just something that was like a 10 minute part with a demonstration, right? But if you get the baptism talk, or if you get the public address, or if you get one of the keynote addresses, again, that elevates you, but it's all based on how good you are at following the society's policies and procedures. And, and your, the school, the Kingdom Ministry School is all about making sure you know what's written in all those letters and in, you know, the elders book, the shepherding book, right? Like that's, that's what you go on. It becomes very fair city. <coughs> um, I remember um, in our elder school, and I, I, I mean this literally, man, I, I, I mean this literally. We probably spent almost 20 minutes 20 minutes on discussing loose conduct and uncleanness. Mm -hmm. And it dealt with the phrase momentarily touching a female body part. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, and, 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 I, and I remember this, I mean, the, 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 the instructor was asking, well, how long is a moment? What's the difference between caressing and what's the difference between momentarily touching and it went around and we had like 900 elders here in alexandria virginia man. and they're all putting up their hands it's like maybe like a couple <laughs> seconds maybe uh maybe just a couple seconds not, not too long not too long and so mm -hmm. and you were like and i was still like this is amazing man this is amazing and so this is why people don't understand the type of crazy questions that come up at judicial cases especially if it involves something you know sexuality and stuff because we had been programmed already coming out of the school where we're trying to split hairs on momentarily touching a female body part as opposed to caressing and how many seconds in between the two and the, and the elders must discuss and determine, you know, did you did you time it and how much time you have? And so it, it's, it's yeah. crazy. What position were you sitting in? Did, did your hands go below the clothes or were they above the clothes? And, and you know, and... What was she feeling at the time, or what were you feeling? Like they, they get into all this nitty gritty. The minutia, man, the minutia is just unreal. And so, and 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 this the speaker, I mean, he's dead serious. He is dead serious. Like now, brothers, we need to make sure we determine this. We need to make sure we understand this. And I'm like, and and and, and it's only when you look back at the name, like man, we were just as crazy as catfish, boy. <laughs> And it's because when they when the elders go back to the congregation, they want to make sure when they have to judge, because that's what they're doing, that they're going to judge based on all the same criteria so that you have the same thing happening in all the congregations, right? And so it's, it's a matter of just creating a uniformity, indoctrinating people with the right questions they need to ask and definitions of this and definitions of that. And you're, you're just prying into people's lives of things you really didn't even, don't even need to know. Like, it, it's so just true. it's embarrassing. So and I, I do have the, I, I guess you could say the, the peace in my conscience that I wasn't one of those elders that you talked about that would ask yeah. a lot of yeah. questions. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.